0: Hi guys and girls, I'm Obsidian Ant. Today I'm here with the creators of the Elite Dangerous RPG, Spider-Mind Games. Now they've come along today to talk about their game and answer all your questions. Over the past week or so, I've been collecting together your questions that you've posted both on the official Elite Dangerous forums, as well as the YouTube comment sections and elsewhere. So now's a great opportunity to get them answered. So before we get on to the questions then, I'd like to say hello to you guys and ask you to introduce yourselves.
1: Hello, I'm Alan Stroud, I'm the uh, author of Lave Revolution, which was uh, Elite Dangerous official fiction, one of the hosts on Lave Radio, and also the law writer for Elite Dangerous the RPG.
2: I'm Oliver Hume, I'm the lead writer for EDRPG.
3: Hello, I'm John Lunn, and I am the producer of the Elite Dangerous role-playing game, and it is my job to make sure that you guys get all your books
0: Okay then, well, it's great to have you all here. Let's get straight to some of the questions. The first question then is from Ben Ryder. He wants to know, or is very keen to know, if the character Pranav Antel, and I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, will be included or perhaps come in as part of one of the source books. He says he knows a great many creative players who have helped form the lore in the game around these characters and they've all been pub- that sort of information has been published on Galnet. So will it be possible to have these characters as part of the backstory for the RPG?
2: um alan why don't you answer that one (laughs) okay i thought i would
1: um right so there's a strategy here i think um and this is starting to emerge with the current fiction content that's going up on the kickstarter and people might might sort of see that um and i think uh both john and oliver have been incredibly gracious and kind and kind of let me spin my webs as it were a little bit to to make some of this happen i'm very aware of what's going on on inara i'm very aware of other people writing content related to the characters that are in game Uh, i am only human so i can't keep up with all of it um and it will be you know it will be tricky to coordinate however um it is really important that what is produced um what is produced in terms of the law that goes into these books is as close as we can get it to what's going on in game and is reflective and, and of the, the incredible content that, that players are producing. So if there is stuff that people want to do in relation to a specific character, send it in, you know, we're happy to look at it. Um, people know probably by my reputation with the things that I do, if, if i don't think something's very good (laughs) i will i will say so but i will say so in a way that is is entirely uh trying to to make it better i want to encourage people's great and i want to get it up to a standard that that makes everybody realize that you know this is a really good piece of, of work so i'm i'm not you know that isn't to try and discourage people that's to try and get them to you know um, if there's if there's something small and and you know a second pair of eyes always helps to to make sure something's consistent so specifically on that character or on characters uh, i've literally just sent a story over to john and oliver for the end of the kickstarter that deals with the frontier first encounters character meredith Argent. um we are looking to bring these elements of you know of all of the, the the canon and the you know how it sort of worked through we're looking to to bring those in as much as possible so yes we would look at anything relating to the current power play characters
0: yeah that's great so i really think that's something a lot of people are looking for things that they can recognize and relate to in terms of uh, the characters so it's great to hear as well as the fact that they can have some input into the game
1: yep yep absolutely
0: Next question then. Are Spider-Mind Games looking for a Traveller-like RPG or a Star Trek-like RPG? So in other words, will it be progression from low-level Grunt to sharpshooter Calamity Jane or will it be Ensign to Junior Lieutenant but you stay the same?
2: Um, Okay, so um, the answer to that is that uh, in... Uh, elite Dangerous, the general style, is that uh, it, it's a, a case of, of continual improvement. So in the computer game, obviously you start off in the most basic ship and you work up and up and up, your ranks go up and your ship generally improves unless you have a, a disaster. And that's very much reflected in the RPG as well. So uh, your skills will improve as you increase in rank, your skills improve as you do more missions, you'll get more money in, and you'll be able to buy bigger and better spaceships. the The campaign is uh, uh, the it, the game is designed basically so that uh, there's a nice even progression between you improving your skills and getting the larger spacecraft. So you'll only ever be able to get, sort of like, um, say for example, the fully kitted out Anaconda. Pretty much by the time that you've reached elite. So that's the idea behind the mathematics of the game. And of course, different GMs will do things differently. Uh, some GMs might want to have a, a low wealth campaign, so the characters are always struggling. You know, and, and that's fine. That could be quite interesting. Uh, and others might be impatient, and they want their players in to be in the bigger ships much earlier. I mean, you can do either. But the default assumption of the game is that, yep, you steadily improve as you go along. And there's little hints for the games master to uh tell them how much income you should be giving your players kind of you know over time and you're completely allowed to ignore it that's absolutely fine but if you want uh you know to benefit from you know the mathematics behind the game then yeah when you're designing your missions you can take advice you know from the gm section
0: so a lot of the progression is very much focused on shipping equipment or does your rank also play a part in in that? I saw you mention that by the time you get to an anaconda, you're likely to be elite in ranking. Does does your rank influence what you can purchase at all? Uh,
2: no, your rank doesn't directly influence it. Um, I mean, the way it works is that uh, behind the scenes, um, when, when I created uh, the system, I sort of balanced out how much money you know i expected characters to have by rank now this this is really going into the the, the meta stuff I mean, and it's entirely optional but uh if, if you played other uh role-playing games such as dungeons and dragons for instance um it's very rare for a first level character to kind of wander into a dungeon and find a, a plus three sword just kind of like lying there because plus three is is one of the better swords you can get and and if you give them the plus three sword right at the beginning um it's a bit of a letdown because what are they going to find afterwards you know if uh, if the the second dungeon yeah you've got the best armor and the best weapon it, it you know you lose some of the sting so um uh, to answer the question, I mean, improving your skills uh, and your statistics, so getting your endurance up, getting uh, your uh, various bonuses higher is, is enormously important. Um, it almost, in a, a way, overshadows what ship you have. So, for instance, if you're an elite pilot and you're in an Eagle, it's very difficult for people to even hit you anymore because you're um you know such such so good at starship piloting assuming that's the skill that you focus on um it, you it, in terms of the, the classic gameplay i've all i've really done is that i there's no breaks to it if you happen to end up with 200 million credits yeah you can buy you can buy an anaconda no problem get it off the shelf if your gm has been generous enough to give it to you you might even steal one in game for instance from uh, a pirate you know you kill the pirates you nick their ship and you know that's that's absolutely fine Uh, but the um for general play and so as a general guide there is there are instructions there for the game's master so that um they can create a game that doesn't fall out of balance too early. To be honest, by the time you get to the top ranks, like Dangerous and uh, Deadly and Elite, you can kind of chuck that stuff out the window. At that point, you can quite comfortably give anyone any ship. Uh, sorry, John wants to have a go.
3: And just uh, as uh, from a basic um, ranking up point of view, each player begins as harmless as they would expect, and then they earn rank points by doing good things like experience points if anybody's played D&D and when you get to a certain number of rank points that's when you jump up to mostly harmless and so on so your progression is very much um, uh, beholden to the number of rank points that you get but of course an adventure is written as Oliver says with the GM's guide telling the gm the kind of level of rank points for the kind of missions that you would expect the rank amateur to 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 take on and as you progress through your ranks up to mostly harmless and competent and so on and so forth you then get the slightly harder missions with the slightly more rank points Uh, the the weapons and the skills the the enemy the the NPCs and the ships should all generally rank up with you that's the plan at least
0: right okay then next question will the career paths in the RPG include all the ones in the video game such as mining exploring and trading uh
2: yes yes they're they're all in there so um yeah you can absolutely um the way that we've done it um the default assumption in game is that uh everyone sort of has their own independence ship and they've got their own life so uh one person might be a cobra pilot and they're a trader another person might be a bounty hunter and the eagle and so forth but they all come together every so often to do a mission which um otherwise they wouldn't be able to do alone like you know uh, raid a pirate base um uh free some hostages uh, uh steal some data from a big company something like that uh, and then after the mission you know they they share out the reward and and you'll go off and do your own thing again so you can be you know in a game uh, which is uh, either full of action or or full of intrigue and still have the kind of ship that you want um we we do this with something called between adventures which is where after you've done an adventure you uh, for all intents and purposes you roll to see uh how much money you make from your either your trading your exploration your asteroid mining or your bounty hunting and so those are the four uh career paths um that you can do in the core book and there'll be others as we go along um and uh depending on how good you are you know say if if you have a good trading skill and you've got lots of cargo space you'll tend to make quite a lot of money in trading um if you're a ship that's got very advanced refineries and prospect Olympic drones and collector limpets and, and good mining lasers and so forth you tend to make a lot of money in mining uh, and things like that and um uh, basically the idea is that um is is that, you know, you're not just uh, defined by the group. You know, you're not a group of people who always travel around together. You know, in one big solid lamp, you are all individuals as well. And you can go off and then kind of reform as and when you kind of you like. And in that way, uh, it it just kind of, you know, emphasised a little bit more the kind of the elite dangerous style. You know where, where you know, kind of a, everyone is able to sort of you know, kind of you know, focus on, on themselves a bit and, and play the game a bit more the way that they want to,
0: right? So, in terms of progress and the ability to earn money, would you say that all the queer powers are equal?
2: Well, actually, no, um, what we've got there are, in fact, prejudices, um, and they exist, exist for quite specific reasons. So, to give you an example, um, bounty hunting tends not always the case but it tends to give you less money than trading and trading in this game at the, at the very least um uh, tends to earn a bit less money than mining now the reason for this uh, it's not just because i have you know big problems with bounty hunters i, I don't like them or something it's because um there's a real advantage in having uh, a ship that's outfitted for combat in the fact that, you know, uh, obviously it's good for bounty hunting, but even if you're flying around in a mission and say, there's a corrupt police force tries to pull you over and, uh, you know, kind of shake you down, you know, having a combat ship is great in that case. Uh, if you have, you're taking on a military mission for the Alliance, say, and you're engaging Imperial fighters, uh, again, it's great to have a combat ship. And so if, 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 in a way, all the career paths earned money equally, you know, this is only in between adventures. In in the actual mission, you all earn the same amount of money. So, uh, you know, if your mission giver offers you 200,000 credits to do a mission, everyone gets that reward. But in terms of um, your between adventures, bounty hunting tends to earn a little less and things like mining, which takes up much more internal space, tends to earn more. If you think about uh, one, I mean, one of the classic complaints in Elite Dangerous is that, um, you know, uh, you know, traders don't stand a chance against really powerful combat ships, because combat ships are obviously they're designed out for combat, and most of your internal space has to be filled with cargo bays. But the reason why lots of people are traders rather than fighters is that trading tends to make a lot of money. So, Between Adventures is an attempt to sort of remedy that. So, in a way, if you go down the bounty hunter route, you have to accept you're going to be making less money, you know, in your kind of, you know, diamondback scout, that's bounty hunting, than the chap in the Type 6 transporter. Now, he's going to make lots of money between adventures but in the actual game of course he's stuck with two small hard points and lots of cargo base that aren't contributing hugely amount to the fight and whereas your ship you know is is big and beefy and you know you're you're the the king of the battlefield when when the fight kicks off and so in this way um we sort of achieve a little bit of balance and so that everyone can sort of feel that their choices are valued a bit more
0: yeah that makes sense so essentially in terms of the bounty hunter their asset is very much in their ship rather than their wallet
2: absolutely it's um yeah the the fact that you know in a, in, a, in a, just a little bit of a way you can be a little bit more of a hero than the person the uh, the type nine um who takes you know half a minute to to turn around uh, so you know it's it, it just you know it it, it allows more varieties Okay. play
0: and will Will other game mechanics such as CQC and the engineers be mentioned at all?
2: Okay, so the uh, engineers are in the espionage supplement. Um, I don't want to give too much away, um, but um, it's done slightly differently from the game. So obviously uh, Elite Dangerous is is essentially uh, sculpted in the, the MMO format where you get all these different materials uh, which you know you can find in very obscure places. One of the issues with an RPG is that um, there's not really quite enough time uh, in-game for people to discover all these different materials, especially not the the vast number that exist in the Elite Dangerous game. So engineers work a little bit differently in espionage, but they, they do exist. So yes, if you want to... Um, Uh, engineer your ship Uh, get the espionage supplement um, because it's great and then you can uh, sort of go full james bond on your ship okay
0: right the next question then is a bit of a cheeky one perhaps it says can you share anything that you know about certain plots such as alien ruins thargoids, barnacles, etc and if you can't share anything about that is it likely your game will include any future plot developments
2: well, um, it, 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 in terms of, um, I mean, to actually, uh, this kind of covers a question that's going to come a little bit later about what our relationship with Frontier is. Um, so, uh, our, our business relationship with Frontier is very good in terms of the fact that when we ask a question, they, they come straight back to us. And if we've got, you know, kind of you know, any kind of practical business issues they're very responsive so you know which is really really great in terms of mike brooks telling us about the Thargoids, um he is as tight-lipped with us as he is with all of you lot. So, um, however, I mean, we, we, we have one small advantage in the fact that we we do have both Alan and Mike Brooks writing law books for us. So we're hoping that, you know, if we can get those um, law books uh, published, that um, they're going to be um, so dry of things to write about that they're going to have to write about the Thargoids. And that way we can get sneaky answers out of them that way. Okay but as personally no he's no, um, not telling us
1: <laughs> I can I can answer a little bit of this um which may explain um something of of you know the sort of philosophy in terms of how I've approached working with Frontier over the the period of the the game development so we did a radio episode a few weeks ago where we talked a bit about journey mechanics and this is the difference between quest mechanics and journey mechanics. Journey mechanics in designing stories encourage people to enjoy the process by which they are achieving the answers. And a lot of the time, it's, it's a little bit like a road movie in that you, you join in because you want the answer, but actually you enjoy the experience of finding the answer along the way. Um, and that, that becomes more memorable than the actual answer itself and of course what we have to remember is that when somebody knows a secret the secret is valuable until such point as they divulge it and at the point that they divulge it somebody else then goes oh fantastic you've told me you know, the truth about blah you can you know i i now know i'm in the club i know the you know the special special information but of course that's that's chip paper you know that's that's today's and then tomorrow is is something else and tomorrow is something else yeah. And there can be a danger when you get into design. If you reveal too much, what happens is you're racing to try and stay ahead. And similarly, players come up with great ideas. They come up with fabulous ideas. And sometimes those ideas are even better than the ones that you came up with in the first place. So there is always a balance between trying to be able to to give information and also make sure relating to what we had earlier about trying to you know to incorporate creativity from others, um, even when they don't know, even when they, you know, you, you know, you had, I don't know, enemies from the planet blog, and they say, well, actually, those guys, you know, they, they, they've they got this secret agenda that this, this and this, I'm pretty sure they have. And you thought, I never thought of that. That's great. Okay, well, give them that secret agenda. You know, you you want to be adaptive enough that that kind of includes, you know, anything that people are, are doing. So, yeah, I, you know, I mean, that that's sort of a slightly roundabout answer. But there is this important thing about establishing the the speculation and keeping people dreaming about elite at night you know about what the truth is behind what the thing is about this why this is happening and so on because if you remember back you know for people who started on elite or started on front those are the things you kept hold of because it said in the game manual there were generation ships you went looking for generation ships because it said Space Dredgers, you went and try and found Space Dredgers. And because you're interested in Raxler and the Dark Reel and you think there's an answer about it, you want to know. So you can, you know, there is a time. This isn't about just creating Lost, the TV series. You can deliver those answers, but you've got to deliver those answers in a balance that ensures that the the curiosity and the the wonder of this incredible, incredible design of of fiction of of planets of procedural generation in itself you know really works and also so that we also do what david braben wanted us to do which is what he said in an interview um stories need to lead to the game they need to you know to lead to people being immersed in terms of this whole you know enchilada of 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 incredible uh, fiction uh, that's there in game
0: and and out of it okay um, Does that
2: that kind of help? Yeah, no, I, think that, I think that
0: answers the question. And as just you say,
2: perfectly cryptic. Well done, Alan. Yeah, <laughs> very cryptic.
0: No, it, it gives us um, an indication of why it is. The way it is, I think.
2: Yeah, you see what it's, I have to work with. You yeah,
1: know. Yeah, so, yeah, Sorry, I'm so difficult. <laughs> um, but it it um it's it's the same with any fiction. You know, it's not just uh, elite trying to do that. Uh, and there is a balance. There is always a balance that. Um, the Wizard of Oz uh, metaphor or analogy is is one I, I use a lot. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Because actually sometimes when you look behind the curtain, and I'm not saying this is the case, but sometimes when you look behind the curtain, you go, oh, it's it's just gears and wheels. Well, that's a bit disappointing. You know, so, yeah, the fiction will have some answers, but those answers are going to need to be coordinated so that there is, there is a worth to everything that's associated with the whole fiction franchise, yeah, make, the whole makes sense. transmedia experience. Yeah, it makes
0: sense. And it's essentially, it's in another way of putting some of what you're saying there, was it would be a little bit like putting the last page of a book or the end of the movie right at the very beginning.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And there, there are writers sometimes. There are writers who um uh who occasionally they get into their expositional elements of what they're writing and they, you know, give you all this this world context and story in relation to what's there. He says I'm referring to something actually I, I edited this morning. Um and you have to kind of let them know that those things are a function towards people understanding that world and then following your story and being part of your story. Sometimes Those things aren't necessarily needed to give a solve, you know. Um, There is some of us that, you know, that always want more and more, you know, answers to to why is it there? Why is it there? But you've also got to establish the curiosity in the first place. So question and answer have to go hand in hand.
0: Right. On to the next question then. Futuristic Kung Fu again is asking when will the game be available for everyone to purchase?
3: We are expecting to launch the core manual as a physical copy in the post um, at the end of August. Um, and then from then on, every month, we will be producing the supplement, one of the supplements up until December. So if someone has pledged to have all the books, we will be giving them an option to um, receive the core book in August and then the rest in december or if they want to uh, save a bit on postage then they can receive all of it in december pdfs are going to be slightly different when they're released they're going to be available to download pretty much straight away
0: okay so that's really not too long away is
3: it hopefully not um there is of course the usual caveat um which is that you know um ash clouds and um, famine and pestilence and the four horsemen of the apocalypse and all that sort of stuff um uh, aside we're planning for for an august release uh, which is quite exciting okay
0: unicorn has got a serious question he says he wants to know who he can play with now i don't know if this is something you can answer but is there any way of finding groups online and things like that not just for elite perhaps but for role play games in general do you have any advice for that
2: it's the eternal problem for um RPGs. Um, it, it, the the solution is probably on the internet. I would think we, there's a, a a nice system called Roll Twenty, which is uh, a role-playing game agnostic system. So basically, what it does is that it gives you the tools to play any game that you like on it. Um, uh, Alan actually is a bit more experienced in this. I'll just I'll hand over to Alan. What do you think, Alan? Uh, well,
1: I, I you you came straight at me very quickly there, uh, uh, Oliver. Um. Yeah, no, um, I completely agree with you. I think the Roll20 is great. Um, Google Hangouts is great. Making use of some of the established um, community areas, you know, the more we've got sort of little chats and, and what have you going on. Uh, Inara has been very good in that, you know, there's a lot of content that, that people are starting to, to sort of role play elements there. You've got a little bit of it on the Elite Dangerous forums, which is quite good. I think what I was going to get to is that, yes, we want to play the game and actually that's the the important thing of edrpg um at the same time role-playing becomes when you're when you're immersed in a game world role-playing becomes something that can be a way of belonging to that immersion and so the the elite dangerous role-playing game is a way to start something with a small group of people who you might play with every you know every week um once you've got it sorted out and you're on google hangouts together it's also really nice to be able to then share that in a wider community. So whatever you've done in your adventure this week, having some ongoing, continuous, um, you know, logging of, uh, of you know, a commander's adventures and, and stuff, and it it's a way of belonging. Uh, similarly, we'll we'll have stuff at Lavecon. So if you you know if you're desperate to to play the game and want you know and don't have anyone around. You know uh, that that one-shot deal every year, where you can come to come to the convention, will will happily host some games, and and I know what both Oliver and John want to you know to to bring quite a lot of uh, of great
0: content to to Lavecom uh, this year and, and going forwards. Okay, it's really nice to hear. Uh, there's a question slightly further down, which I'll ask now because it's kind of perhaps related in a way. Uh, someone asked if you guys would be setting up a forum of some type for the game, and if if you're to do that. That would perhaps give other people an opportunity to find others who are like-minded and playing the same game. So is that something you'll be
3: doing? Yeah. Well, we'd love to. I mean, there's a couple of um, places that one can automatically um, think of as placing a forum, and one of those would be on the Elite Dangerous forum. I haven't actually asked them yet. But it would be very nice to use that because, of course, that then invites RPGers into the Elite Dangerous world, which would be quite nice. With regards to f- hosting our own forum on our own website, um, we haven't looked into that yet. Again, that will have to depend on the demand. Um, but yes, if, if people do want to come together, um, then we we will be having a resource page on the website, planning to have a resource page on the website where people can come together and and post ideas for missions, um, for adventures, and also to hook up with others. And just jumping back to the Roll20 um, specifically, we will be, as soon as the Kickstarter has ended, pretty much straight away, we'll be getting in touch with Roll20 so that we can upload some maps, the combat maps and various other um, resources onto Roll Twenty. So if people do meet up virtually online, they can use that as the platform through which they can actually physically roll their dice and and um, you know carry out the combat bits of the RPG. Okay, nice. So I'll be there
0: very early on. Hopefully, yes. Okay. Um, we've got a bunch of questions here from Neil Whit, but we'll, we'll go through them all. I think um, he asks if you guys have created any other tabletop games before. If you've got any other experience with that shall, shall uh, i answer that <laughs> yes well reads um
1: so i do <laughs> um i'm currently working with uh mark Reinhagen uh on two projects which are um, if anyone knows world of darkness um and vampire the masquerade uh uh, Werewolf the Apocalypse, Mage the Ascension I grew up on a diet of those I utterly love those games um, Mark is the originator of that and um, he's currently working on a suite of games, one of which is out, which is I Am Zombie um, I'm doing a little bit of, of peripheral work on that, uh, mostly editing work actually, mostly sort of critical uh, and assisting them with, um, with little bits there uh, I'm also working on Xenofactor with them, which is a, a sort of alien conspiracy game and, uh and a couple of other you know, a couple of, uh, of other things I'm also uh, working on laser squad uh, which actually Oliver and John have both play tested uh, which yes. is laser squad yes. the board game which is Julian Gollop's we have. laser squad um, and they gave copious notes to the the originator so um yeah thank you for that um, and he's working with me in terms of the the mythology and the, the fiction associated with it uh, I did the law stuff for Chaos Reborn. Um, the, there is a little bit of talk around producing something um, tabletopy uh, on that. Uh, we've certainly got the, the law material to do it. We, we'd need some system material and generate a player base. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, I, I think, yeah, there are a couple of my own projects as well that uh, I'm working on and that are rules and, uh, and other things based. So, and I've designed live games. So I've done quite a lot of live game design, which you have to strip all the rules down and make sure people can play the characters themselves and you know have a costume guide and so on. So yeah, all right, sorry, that's enough about me. Uh,
2: so in stark contrast to um, Alan, no, this is our first. Um, one of the, uh, obviously I can I can go into the, the fact that I've, I've played RPGs for a very long time and I, I've been playing since I was about nine years old. Um, and you know, I've I played dozens of different role-playing systems, but uh, yes. So for me and John, this is our first. Um, we're compensating for that by getting having everyone else that we work with be experts in the industry. So obviously, uh, yeah, we've got Alan. Um, who is uh, uh, giving us all kinds of uh, law guidance? Uh, obviously, Michael Brooks uh, is helping us with law as well. Uh, in terms of our designer, he's a chap called Bruce Kennedy, who has worked in the games uh, industry a lot. So he's done all sorts: of Crisis and and oh, John. John knows his various things. I'll have him talk to you about that in a moment. Um, we've done Just Cause was the other one. Just way. Cause. Just Cause. That's it. Um, uh, our editor is the kind of editor, uh, kind of one of the line editors from Woman's Own magazine. Uh last called Janet Sharples, who's very good. Uh, so basically what we've we've done a little bit to compensate for the fact that this is our first project is surround, make sure that everyone else around us is very, very good and has lots of experience. Um, it's worth noting that uh, another chap who's uh, very important to us, our distributor, who's Chris Birch, who works for Modiphius Games. So in terms of how sort of books are handed out, um, you know, uh, he's kind of in charge of that. Um, so everyone else in the project has has quite extensive experience. One of the other things that we've done uh, just to sort of ease people's minds uh, is obviously our free playtest, which you can download so you can actually see what the game is like uh, before you know you uh, put any money in it so you can see you know very roughly what the core systems are so you know we're aware that it's a case of uh, uh, you know kind of uh, proving a little bit more than we might uh, otherwise have to do if we were an established games company. We have to prove a little bit more about what we have and, and what we can do. Uh, and for that reason, that's why there's there's a number of uh, on, online playtests of the game that you can see and so forth. So hopefully just to set people's minds at rest. Um I I, I feel quite confident about the system. It's had quite a lot of nice feedback about it. So um, I I think it'll be a splendid game. So uh, fingers crossed, it'll be up to others to decide, of course.
0: Okay. Uh, Can we expect to see any different sides of the elite universe from on foot, such as social structures and tech that we wouldn't see from the computer game? That would actually be canon. So I guess what he's asking there is if you'll be including anything uh, in the that's a part of the galaxy that we can't actually see at the moment because we're stuck in our ships.
2: So um, I'll, I'll, I'll let Alan describe in a little bit about what you can expect in terms of um, uh, the day to day technology that you, you can't uh, see. Uh, easily in the game in terms of our license what we have is something uh, is it, quite special we have a non-law license which means that uh, basically it gives us permission to make things up that's that's what it means however we, we say that with, with a caveat when we were granted a, a, a non-law license we became quite determined to actually make the game very law accurate and this is the reason why we wooed mike brooks and alan Onto to the project because um i mean both me and john are enthusiastic elite players and we've played you know for years and years um uh, this isn't the first uh, i mean you know this is my first published rpg but obviously i've you know like almost all sort of uh, enthusiastic amateurs i've made many in the past and i've made elite role-playing games in the past uh, this game is based on those that i made when i was 11 by the way so you can breathe easily um uh, In terms of, yes, we obviously, it is incumbent on us to fill in the gaps. There are some gaps we must fill in because the most important thing that happens, the dangerous role-playing game that you can't do in the game is get out of your ship and interact with people directly. And as a consequence, we had to visualize uh, sort of, you know, how weaponry worked, um what your likely opponents would be are they all going to be human uh, i mean the, the basic answer is, is no there's all sorts of uh different foes that you can battle um what are other vehicles like for instance in elite dangerous we've seen one which is the um the uh, scarab srv what are the others like you know, are they, uh, similar to it? Are they in, uh, you know, what, what kind of various forms do they, uh, you know, do the, what's a police vehicle like, you know, on a, uh, on a high tech world, what do gangsters ride about in, you know, in, um, in places where, uh, you know, there's very little law, all of that sort of thing has to be covered. And so, uh, our way of dealing with it is basically to see what exists already, and then to basically uh, base our ideas around that. So, um, in terms of, for instance, the weapon systems, uh, you know, we we base ourselves. We know that, for instance, beam weapons, rapid-fire energy weapons exist. We know that rapid-fire kinetic weapons, as plasma. Uh, weaponry there's rail guns and so if those sorts of things exist in space it's reasonable to assume that versions of them exist for uh, personal and vehicle scale combat as well Uh, likewise with with armor we know there's things like uh, reactive armoring game is is mentioned Um, so any clues that we can pick from the main game we've incorporated into the sort of uh, the smaller scales the personal and the vehicle scale combat and we've just tried to you know kind of take our hints from what already exists and so that's that's more or less the style now in terms of our frontier bound to what we create uh the answer to that is no uh they could go a different direction and if they do it's incumbent on us in future publications to catch up with them Uh, however if, if something's relatively well thought out if something works and is functional um chances are you know uh, less frontier for a very good reason maybe for saying no um, they, they they may well uh, go with uh, with some of what we've created I mean a good example of this is in the Star Wars universe so um In 1987, there was a Star Wars role playing game, and obviously, based off the original films, because none of the other films had been made yet. And in several of the supplements, they created new things in there. One of the things they invented was uh, something called the Juggernaut, which was a big kind of wheeled uh, armored truck. That was, uh, was which the kind of, you know, Empire owned. And and you can actually uh, see this juggernaut. It's in the uh, latest film, Rogue One. Uh, they've got it. So they took it straight from the role-playing game book and they put it in the, um, you know, in the films. So there is a cross-pollination that can occur here. Uh, but Frontier, of course, they're not dependent on us. They can go a different way. Um, Alan, did you want to say something?
1: Yeah, I was going to say that this mirrors the actual design process that was done for the the fiction guides that I produced in the first place in 2013. Um, when I did those, those were the, the base guides that the elite fiction itself, you know, used to kind of coordinate. And um, essentially most of the writing of that process was about me going and getting all the old source information from all the instruction manuals, and pulling it all together, and then writing some extra paragraphs in between things. So you know particularly with the history and and what have you. Um, I've been over the documents very recently. And you know, I was told to by David Braben to attribute every paragraph, everything I added, they had to see exactly where I'd added it. So I you know that's what I did. And what that meant was that I could go off and try and make all this make sense. Frontier could then read it and make a decision what they wanted to keep or what they wanted to change, which made their circumstance in terms of trying to create a consistency much easier because someone had already suggested a consistency and all they had to do was effectively pick up and edit rather than write the entire consistency themselves. And essentially what the RPG's license allows is it allows a continuation of that design process. Because, as Oliver quite clearly said, we're not going to get everything right. Um, there's a good example, really, in the elite fiction, because, of course, the Galantz novels were produced prior to the incorporation of the frameshift drive. Um, so, the briefing that the Galantz authors who were commissioned to write those books had been given was that there would be micro jumping. So, those three books have micro jumping in them. And, of course, then the community decided that. Frameshift was really cool. Frontier picked up Frameshift, found a way to implement it and design it. So it, it doesn't quite fit. Now you don't want that, you know, you, as a writer and as, as, you know, as a, as a designer, you kind of want to minimize those inconsistencies. So we'll, we'll do our best to make sure that they are minimal, but at the same time, everybody's got a vested interest. And of course, if, if there is a great plot coming 18 months from now that involves a particular aspect of the computer game being designed to work a particular way, and we don't have that in the RPG. Then, you know, sell Um and you kind of as long as the the players accept that that's where we're working from, we're trying to be as informed and as accurate as. Um, then you know that's how you move forward, um, and it is advantageous to all parties in that regard because it lets Frontier effectively have the RPG as a stalking horse to try out some of this and then they can work out which they keep and which they they decide they need to change and use in a different way
0: so yeah it really sounds like you're putting a lot of thought into fleshing out the elite universe and making sure it's consistent I think a lot of people are going to be really pleased to hear that so moving on um, to the next question what other tabletop RPGs did you draw inspiration from and I think we can probably throw in another question there. Does the Elite Dangerous RPG cater to any particular playing style?
2: Okay. Um, so just very briefly, in terms of other RPGs, um, I would say uh, the speed of the system is probably inspired by the, uh, the Star Wars D6 system, uh, which West End Games made. Um, uh, the idea of uh, accruing... Um, you know, kind of, uh, the almost like the treasure economy, where you're you're becoming more powerful and you're getting bigger ships and more equipment and so forth. Is is inspired, I'd say, by uh, Dungeons and Dragons. There's various aspects, I'd say. Um, the, uh, Shadowrun would have inspired me as well. So uh, things like um, cybernetics, there being um, a limit, for instance as to the amount of cybernetics that uh, a human body can take, uh, the idea of rejection and uh, little things like that. Um, yeah. Kind of influenced a little bit by that kind of cyberpunky y uh, little bit. I, I I, find it hard. I have to say, and I often sometimes have to consciously stop myself from making kind of, you know, every criminal a cyberpunk. Uh, and I hopefully I've done that in the book now, uh, but you'll judge that yourself later. Um, in terms of playing styles um, now, I've tried to keep it open. One thing that EDRPG is, is that it's a system that's designed for speed. So if you're looking for, um, something that's kind of quite ponderous and simulationist, um, that, that's not, that's not this game, not really. Um, the justification for that is that um i know that a lot of people come to elite dangerous and they think of it they they say they go well this is uh, an in-depth uh, simulation of, of flying a spaceship it, it is but when you actually sort of get to things like the the combat for instance it becomes much much more instinctive and it's a much wilder game and my experience of of playing uh, elite dangerous you know when i'm i'm in a combat situation is that it's very wild and crazy and that you know the 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 adrenaline is pumping people are coming at you from all sorts of different angles and it alternates between this point where you're in very close dogfights they're all swirling around to when you know you're uh, at a, a great deal of distance and you're just slowly you know kind of you're five kilometers away from that pirate which everyone else is shooting and you're trying to get there in time and so there's kind of that alternation between the the furiousness of up close combat and the more stately kind of you know at distance and so what I've tried to go for in the game is to capture that feel of elite dangerous rather than trying to capture every specific mechanic um, so I mean it's uh, ultimately uh, in terms of how you play it um, you can absolutely play it as as a combat game and, and people of course because we've had to emphasise the combat mechanics. During the, the Kickstarter, there's maybe an unfair perception that it's all about fighting, but actually some of the most successful games uh, in the playtest that I've done have been in espionage, where it's all about uh, maybe going in, swapping out you know one contract for another, hacking into an enemy base, finding out someone's secrets those sorts of games it goes very well with because because there's the game doesn't stop very often when you're making a check it's it's not very complicated to resolve it so it's not a case of you're maybe calculating how many successes you need and you often don't have to roll multiple times to accomplish your object your objective if uh, you want to do something you know a difficulty is set and you try and do it so the game mechanics hopefully don't get in the way very much where they are complicated they're complicated between the adventures so uh for instance the parts where you're modifying your ship uh if that's what you want to do you don't have to you can just buy different models of ships that are already pre-modified if that's what you want to do but if you're modifying your ship that does take some time but it's also something that you can do in between the game you don't have to do it while the game's going on and sort of stopping everyone else from playing because i have become conscious that that time is a very valuable commodity these days and that people are reluctant to put aside as much time as they used to you know when they're all playing they'll they'll meet they're not going to be meeting several times a night they'll meet once a week if they're really dedicated you know often just once a month you know uh, for a get together so your game time has to be quite meaningful so i'd say you can play the game in any way you want uh but be prepared for a game that's fast and that you know doesn't halt you know uh to kind of resolve its actions
0: Right. i think that kind of answers part of the next question as well which is well, would you be able to give some more information on rules for non-combat orientated activities such as hacking a bartering or building or rules that go beyond the difficulty check
2: um, so the the general idea for all skill checks in the game. I say it unapologetically. Is that there is, for the most part, there will be a single difficulty check, and there you go. Now it might be, for instance, if you wanted to simulate a more complex hacking system, um, you could, for instance, as a games master, have a computer where first you've got to hack the code, uh, then you've got to input, the, you know, the security dongle that you found from somewhere else. Uh, uh, then uh, you know maybe you've got to kind of uh, uh, convince the kind of uh, the computer has basic ai that you are the person who you're imitating so maybe you've got to bluff them so you know as a gm you can introduce a number of steps yourself the default idea of the game is that um, in most uh, social situations generally speaking we get one go if you're um, for instance trying to sneak part trying to get past a guard and you're pretending to be their boss that they've never seen that's one check for the most part you're either going to convince them or you're not going to um the gm of course can simulate more complicated systems but uh for the most part uh no it's it's um you know you've got sort of uh you've got this one check and there you go and that's very consciously part of the game yeah it feeds feeds back into what you were saying
0: earlier about keeping the pace of the game and that makes sense
2: yes absolutely okay Right, well,
0: the elite galaxy, as it is in the game, is, is very big. And whether you're talking about uh, the galaxy outside of the inhabited bubble or just the inhabited bubble itself, where there's thousands of systems and thousands upon thousands of stations, is there a way within the game to keep track of all of this, to keep track of the systems and the stellar bodies and space stations that you're going to be encountering?
2: So for the most part, uh, it's not actually as much as a problem as you might think. Uh One of the things that people might imagine is that when you create an Elite Dangerous game, what you do is that you get sort of the entire galaxy or most of it, and then you have to write an adventure for every little bit of it. Of course, that's impossible. The the scale of the galaxy is too big. The the default way of playing Elite Dangerous, and this is just a suggestion, is that people get together for missions. So, for instance, there could be... um, Uh, an issue on the planet Altair, so say uh, there is uh, a chap who uh, is uh, trying to release a virus, deadly virus, in the space station or on, you know, maybe uh, a moon base somewhere, and you've got to stop them. Well, then the action takes place in Altair. You might map some of the systems around it, but, you know, for the most part it's happening Uh, in one sort of section you can also um, what I found was very good during playtest is to create uh, a small area of the galaxy that you call your own so you create sort of a dozen systems and then people fly between those systems and they often make kind of return journeys to the same kind of planets because the plot is drawing them there and there you have a much more kind of focused kind of adventure it'll still seem quite large to your players but, um, you know, for the most part, the the campaign might take place in a very small area. Between adventures, it's assumed that you go across the galaxy and you can go sort of more or less wherever you like. But it's, it's not difficult when you're doing a mission-based structure to say, well, actually, the mission is taking place here in Groombridge 34. It's not taking place, you know, uh, out in the middle of beyond. In a way, there's no reason for your players to just... Go where if they like, if their mission is in a place, a single place. Uh, There are guides in the book. If you want to create a sandbox adventure, um, that there's some good advice in uh, both how you sort of create your own region of the galaxy, what kind of plots you come up with to entertain your players and so forward. Um, But if you're talking about um, keeping track of something the size of Elite Dangerous, you need a computer for that and actually there's already quite a good computer game that 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 sort of captures that experience for you so it's a bit so it's a bit different in the rpg um alan did you want to say something
1: just really to chime in on what you're you're saying in that people can get a sense of how that mission structure and that your know, objective based structure is um is, is currently being thought through um just by, by looking at the updates on the Kickstarter, um, what the guys have uh, have done, and I, I went to them with this as a proposal, um, having run a Kickstarter, I knew very much that you need content every day. You have to have content. And so I, I proposed to them that um, uh, I'd write episodic short stories. And all of those short stories are written to a jumping off point, to an adventure point. So much as and, uh, John or John will laugh at this, much as John sent me an email the other day saying, oh, oh, the wreck is excellent. I really love the wreck. I'm paraphrasing. Um, Are you going to finish it? Are you going to finish it? And uh, and I said, well, I, I could do, I guess. But the whole point is that it leaves you on a cliffhanger. So that's the moment where you can bring a group of players in and you can start an adventure about finding out what, what they found on the wreck. And what clues they have regarding um generation ships and you know and, and this that and the other and of course that that reflects the GM experience because we did have a little bit of comment on the kickstarter about the fact that you know the play test's up people can can check it out but how can they kind of um you know how can they have more adventures and there are some things in place to to assist them in constructing those and you know all of us got some amazing ideas to to do that Uh, but at the same time if if we've just got a little bit of that fiction content it sort of sets them up to to then go and have their own you know thoughts as as to what these things are of course we'll you know we'll put together a briefing document in terms of stuff for the gm to know that uh that the players don't necessarily know from reading the story um but it, it just you know that 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 whole design idea kind of shows how this approach you know is is going to work I think all the prototype of this approach because obviously we'll refine and we'll, we'll come up with things that are better and more popular and so on uh later on
0: so yeah basically those little snippets of stories you're talking about there like the example of the one with the wreck they act as a hook to get people in
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. That you know, and all those stories. Some of them are, some of them are a bit more uh, burning in terms of their curiosity than others. Um, the unexpected guest is a murder mystery. The wreck, uh, an exploration discovery uh, thing. Um, live bait is a sort of a heist, sort of a chase. Um, Last wishes is a package delivery. And the one that's just gone to the guys at the moment who I don't know if either of them have read it yet. They went to them this morning, which is no. poor, little, poor Little Rich Girl. Poor Little Rich Girl is a rescue story um, with with a bit of, you know, um, sort of treasure, essentially you know, law or knowledge based treasure treasure at the center of it.
3: And it's lovely because what it does is it ties in with the whole idea behind the character creation ethos which is that your character is not the hero of the galaxy that is um, powered above all others and is designed and has been brought up from an infant to be the hero your character as you um, go through the character generation rules will see that they are basically normal people who have entered into the uh, profession of um galactic trading as you do in an uh, elite you know you've you've done your pilot's federation license and off you go and these all these different missions are very appropriate for that type of character they they're not just requiring the one hero and and i think that's lovely as well because it means that everybody can be involved
0: so the next question then is what sort of mechanics if any are being considered for smugglers and contraband is that something you can tell us a bit about?
2: Um, yeah, so there's... Um, you do have silent running in the game. So the the existing mechanic um, is there. So you can, you can run your ship in silently. I've always been in two minds... About how Elite Dangerous does it, this idea that you ask for docking permission and then you sneak in silently, it's always been a little bit funny. I suppose they're separate systems, maybe that can work. The idea in the game is that there's more than one hurdle to overcome when you're smuggling. You know, once you've landed your ship, that's not the end of the story. So, uh, obviously, at that point, you you might, you know, in, in stations with very high security, you might have to smuggle these goods past customs, you might need to have kind of a concealed cargo bay, maybe sort of a la Millennium Falcon type thing. Um, I think it'd be quite difficult to smuggle in, you know, kind of 256 tons of narcotics into Seoul, for instance. You know, I think that would be a relatively hard thing to do. So the advantage of the RPG is that it doesn't begin and end at the ships. Um, You know, you can uh, have an adventure trying to, you know, procure these items, and you can have an adventure trying to ship them to your contacts at the end, and There's all sorts of of, um, wicked things that a GM can do. So, yeah, you know, like uh, make sure that your contact, for instance, you know, that you're selling your drugs to has died um, or has been arrested. So you're left with all the drugs. What do I do with them then? Or you're being hounded by a police detective who maybe you've shaken off. Maybe he's trying to pull you out of hyperspace. But then, you know, he's coming, you know, no sooner if you land and he's coming through the slot and it becomes a race to get this stuff off and make sure that your your nemesis isn't kind of tracking you down so it opens up all these additional adventure options uh, many of them i mean they don't have to be defined as procedures so it's not a case of oh there's a smuggling mini game to beat but there are rules and therefore silent running there's rules in you know sort of uh, uh in the game for sneaking around and so you can combine those sorts of things together to create quite an interesting smuggling experience
0: um, after the initial Kickstarter goodies, how does Spider-Man Games see longer-term
3: support of the uh, product line? Well, this kind of boils down to how well the core manual does. I don't necessarily mean just in the Kickstarter campaign. You know, The Kickstarter campaign was primarily to raise enough money to be able to create a core manual and four supplements at a production level that... Means that it would not be ashamed being sat on a shelf next to anything Games Workshop or um, Warhammer or anyone else would produce, and so we set the, the the target level quite high because we wanted to produce something that was that that looked good and felt professional. Um, but moving forward, of course, now that we've raised those funds, we will be making a physical book available for purchase in August we are going we're already in discussion with a number of um global um magazine and online gaming portal um brands for for features once the kickstarter is finished and we've actually produced a physical book and obviously then we'll have to see how it sells as an rpg on its own if the take-up is sufficient enough then any of the books that weren't stretch gold in the kickstarter we would then take a look at releasing at that point to an audience because we'd know what that gaming base was in in numbers they have to be of a certain level for us to want to go ahead and and pay for a professional um team to put together the book um and if 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 those numbers are there then we will look to create those books so that the owner of the core manual and the four supplements can also in the future, be a proud owner of all the various uh, attached law and technical books. And then if the, if the demand is there, um, then you know, look at if, if Frontier bring out any you know, ground breaking new things that we then are able to, as and when these things um, appear, create further supplements to further augment what we've already produced. But everything boils down to numbers because we can't risk producing uh, expensive, high-end, good-quality books for a smaller market than would be able to recoup our costs in. So it it absolutely all will boil down to how the Kickstarter does, first of all, and then in August when we release the physical copy, how well that does.
0: All right, that makes complete sense. Um, do you guys plan on upgrading the character sheet? This is a question from... Reprobator, and I assume he's uh, tried out the test version of the uh, game that you've put on your Kickstarter, and he mentions that he's done uh, some false checks on, and that had to be done on his athletic skill, and he's just wondering if that's going to be the same when the game finally released, or if it's going to be upgraded or changed a little bit.
2: So in terms of how the um, uh, character sheet looks, yes, it's going to change quite uh, considerably, I mean hopefully, if all goes well i don't want to promise it because um, our designer has got stacks of things on, and he may or may not be able to do it I'm hoping that we'll be able to get um, an example of the character sheet uh, out uh, you know what it's going to look like uh, in terms of the specific um, uh, issue in terms of you know doing using athletics as force checks uh, that's correct so uh, athletics tends to con Uh, combine most of your physical capabilities uh in one skill Uh, i suppose um dodge also kind of helps with maybe sort of your your agility if he's thinking about well one person is wrestling another yes you would use athletics that is the correct skill Uh, it won't be broken down into others in terms of the skills what we've tried to do is is conglomerate as much as possible into one skill um, so that um, the value of skills isn't undermined by making them too specific Um, a good example for instance is the grenade skill so the grenade skill covers both your ability to throw a grenade uh, but it also covers your ability to disarm explosives as well so it's an example of a skill which combines all of your capabilities likewise uh, you can strip a uh kinetic weapon, such as an assault rifle using the kinetic weapon skill you know if your your gun has jammed or you know is is gone in bad condition if you're you know uh, trying to repair it, that's the kinetic weapon skill for the most part um it, there is an element here of the games master sort of deciding what skill they want to do um for different tasks, so you know you can use repair to cover both repairs to things like vehicles and uh and also kind of you know spaceships and uh vending machines uh if you want to Uh, the idea is is more the uh, the case that If, for instance, in the case of the repair skill, you're good at fixing things, I found that people are good at fixing things tend to be good at fixing all kinds of things. Whereas those who can't even wire a plug, it's very rare for them also to be sort of like fridge engineers or uh, guys who you rely on to fix your air conditioning. Many of these things it's just an instinct, tend to tie together. There are people who are good with their hands and people who aren't. In the case of athletics, there are people who are sort of uh, uh, beta males like me who don't have a very imposing uh, physique and can't jump uh, necessarily very far. And then there are people uh, like Usain Bolt, uh, who is not only extremely fast, but for some reason is also able to do the long jump very well. And he appears to be very physically strong. I find that these things tend to all sort of meld together. That's the direction that the game is taking. Um, but yes, if you're after um, uh, separate skills for physical capabilities, no, that's not in this system.
0: Okay. Got a very incre- interesting question next from Sandro Samarco. He wants to know if the game's going to have space loach.
2: Um, well, um, you can you can tell um, Samarko that uh, yes, he can find the space loach in the game, but what he has to do is first of all, read the entire core book out in a broad Classwegian accent, accelerate it by a few hundred times, and then cryptographically find the location <laughs> in the book where the space loach can, the you know, stats can be decoded. Um, and if he does that, then he can have a space loach, but you know, what's good for the goose is good for the gander because I could make head nor tail of his clues. So uh, yeah, you know, but that yeah so he could have a space loach if he wants
0: perfect well the pressure's on him now because a lot of people want space loach oh, so well, the I'll challenge
3: of, The challenge, of course <laughs> will have to be that what is in the game is in the rpg so if he wants space loach in the rpg then we very much look forward to seeing the space loach in the computer game sometime not too soon
1: yeah i'll, I'll write a story commander space loach story of the space Space loach Loach saga (laughs) i can see that being you know that's that's a winner space the space loach saga elite dangerous the space loach saga yeah that you know rolls off the tongue doesn't
0: it brilliant like one of those 60s novels it sounds like 60s sci-fi novels
3: question is will it be a bio model will it be an actually naturally um occurring alien creature Hmm. i I Um, think i think you're already reading too much into this john
1: (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) let's not get ahead of
2: ourselves (laughs) all
0: right um will you be including any uh, mechanics for multi-crew systems
2: uh yes uh they're in the game so the, the the preference of the game is that everyone has their own ship because people um I think overall we'll have more fun that way, however, it is their game, and you can make a ship much more efficient and better, uh, especially a large ship by having lots of player characters on it so for instance um one of the things i I should add because i haven 't gone into it much in any of the descriptions, is that the larger ships require crew, and if you don't have crew on your large ships, you can still fly them um but they get very, very ineffective um for instance, you know your turrets have to fire an automatic Uh, Tracking controls and they're not really very accurate. So part of the game uh that you can do is that you can hire crew which you can either do very quickly or you can do crew interviews if you want to skip a between adventures turn just interviewing crew to make sure you're not hiring pirates or ship hijackers or something uh player characters absolutely could fulfill those crew roles if you want uh and i mean they'd be much better you know there'd be probably better shots in the turrets they'd be able to use the sensor systems more effectively if you had your own engineer yep making emergency repairs would be quicker Um, I would say, however, that one of the defining characteristics of a DRPG, um, which it it seems to be incredibly rare amongst other games, is that everyone has their own spaceship. And I think it's kind of part of the dream of Elite Dangerous. And I think, therefore, it needs to be sort of part of the dream of EDRPG as well. Um,
0: This next question is very much a Kickstarter focused one. I think people who have used Kickstarter previously will know the answer to this. But the guy's made a pledge to the game and he's just wondering how Spider-Mind Games are going to know where to send the completed
3: Well, that, that one's uh, for me. We are using um, an add-on to the Kickstarter page called Pledge Manager. And um, basically what that does is it will get in touch with anyone who has backed the campaign with an invitation to fill in a small questionnaire, which will include details such as uh, which pledges have you Um, got yourself and um, where do we post them and so it'll be at that point people will fill in all the details and then they can choose whether they want to as I um, touched on a little bit earlier on whether they want to to receive things in tranches um, and they're happy to pay multiple sets of postage or whether they want to wait until all um, the items that they've bought are published and ready and then they can receive them in a a lump a little later on so that'll all be covered by pledge manager just after the couple of weeks after the campaign has finished
0: um will there ever or are there going to be any plastic models included in the game such as items for hardware well well, yes
3: um it was actually something um i very much wanted to do as part of the original campaign, but Frontier quite rightly stated that that is a completely different license that we would need to apply for. That is not to say that we can't, because uh, recently, I don't know whether um, everybody who is going to be listening to this has heard, but a company called Euclid uh, based in the States who were producing uh, models for various computer games had actually been producing uh, models for Elite Dangerous. They've since ceased traded. So, so cease trading. So, we've now got a situation where nobody can actually get their hands on models. And I think that not only would models be a good thing for the RPG, but I've got a sneaking suspicion that if they were at the right level, at the right size, and at the right price point, it might be something that a wider audience of Elite Dangerous players might be interested in. So, again, it goes back to if the book is at a successful level that makes us believe that there's a market out there um, then that's one of the things I would very much like to approach Frontier on and what we would then have to do is produce some models, show Frontier, have their art people approve it. So there's a huge mountain to climb and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even entirely convinced that Frontier want them but on the basis that Frontier have um, made uh, sort of enthusiastic noises before we would certainly look to do that once um, this is this is done and dusted I don't think jumping on the model bandwagon right now is sensible because we've still got the RPG to produce but if if the RPG is successful enough afterwards then you know I personally for one would love to see some of those models
0: yes yeah, and a very exciting possibility actually I've seen a lot of people uh, often talking about or asking about the possibility of ships various types or indeed any other items out of the elite oh
3: yeah like the little srvs and and, and things like that would be would be awesome yeah certainly would be yeah or little station models anything like that
0: great stuff yeah right the next question is about one of the uh, stretch goals Uh, it's about a, a, a screen shouldn't the gm screen be first rather than a player screen is there any real tangible benefit to uh, doing it the way you're doing it? I think has been the asked.
3: the reason why we put the art boost there first was because um, people will be aware of artists such as Josh Attack, and for people in the role playing game community, Henning Ludvigson might be a name that people will recognise, but his work most definitely will because he's one of the main artists on the Star Wars. The, the latest Star Wars role playing game um, to name, but uh, uh, you know one of the many projects he's involved in. These two people are extremely popular, well sought after and handsomely paid. So to be able to fill our our, um, our core book with their kind of artwork, to make it look and feel amazing, we needed to put in a stretch that would allow us to do that. And so that had to go first. Um, and then then of course the game, Game Master's screen was was sort of um, suitably second but to be totally honest I think whatever way around we had done the stretch goals people who are uh, more law fans would have wanted Alan and Michael's books first and stuff the technical rubbish others who want nothing more than a book about spaceships and spaceship um, stats would have wanted that first other RPGers would want the opponent's guide which is our sort of monster manual so there are going to be people whose opinions are going to be split on this but for for artwork to get um josh and henning on board we needed to do that and we needed to do that relatively early on okay yeah one way or another you had to yes, make exactly. a choice on that so
0: okay um next question from the same guy that's candy man is wondering if he's wondering whether or not you'd still be able to produce some of the items if the set stretch goals are not
3: reached. well yes um i mean i did cover that a little bit earlier on in so far as yes if the book is A success when it is physically produced in August and we can see that from the number of people who bought the core book there is a a mathematical formula it's not a very difficult one to work out how many people you can expect would then be interested in supplements and of course that would have to be over a certain amount for us to then be able to produce them cover our costs and, and make it a worthwhile project so if we if we succeed at the kickstarter level high up enough and we sell enough physical books in, in august then yes absolutely yeah awesome stuff okay
0: and the next question i don't know it's from candy man again you might not yet be able to answer it but he's wondering whether the product would be purchasable from the frontier Uh, Retail stores. Yes, the product
3: will be available on the Frontier store as well as Drive Through RPG, which is the um, largest online um, RPG download store. It will also, due to our deal with our distributors, be available in most well known game and hobby stores so if you're anywhere near london you'll know forbidden planet um it'll be in places like there and also in in internationally as well we've got quite a good distribution network set up so hopefully it'll be available um to, to order but yes definitely on the frontier store absolutely
0: okay um you sort of touched on this a little bit earlier but uh, commander legendy is wondering whether or not popular playing factions will be included in the game such as the children of Rexler?
2: Well, um, y- y- what we, y- yes, a bit. Um, one of the things that we quite like to do um, is kind of. Uh, uh, in our artwork is to show that these groups exist. and We've got kind of ideas that uh, really we'd like to reference them in relatively obscure ways. So, you know, you might see a poster, you know, of a faction like Dark Echo, for instance, up on, you know, kind of a, a wall as a character is walking by, um, or there could be sort of, you know, pamphlets, another bit of art, um, uh, i mean we the, the the amount of room in the law section is is relatively tight um so um you know alan obviously has to cover almost all the most important things first uh um, before he goes into things like individual player groups we'd like to homage them and we we've done what we can uh wherever we go i mean for instance um there's a nice um a bit for the fuel rats. uh You can be uh, one of your background choices is that you can be an ex-fuel rat, uh, and you know that's kind of you know can be part of the kind of a wonderful tapestry that makes up your life,
3: or in fact continue to be a fuel rat. Once a fuel rat, always a fuel rat.
0: Yeah, that's that's a nice touch. So then there's a possibility, like you say, you've got the fuel rats there, and maybe other such groups such as canon might be referenced. I,
2: I'd be very surprised if at some point. Um, maybe more sort of in the exploration guide type thing but but i'd be very surprised if they're not mentioned uh, at least in passing somewhere it'd also be yeah, very there's...
3: difficult for a gm not to be able to include any of the groups that they or their players are members of because the random generation system is such that every avenue that currently players are pursuing are covered in the random generation system so you can certainly make missions where your your characters become inadvertently or um on purpose part of the children of raxa or part of uh, some sort of distant world expedition or whatever it might be because the supplements will allow for that to happen
0: yeah so in that regards it could be very much an extension of what um these players may be doing in the game currently
1: i think i think the is to look at a model later on um similar to the way in which both babylon 5 and firefly um attempted to ensure that their players because you know, their players you know devised devised organizations that were related to what what the the fiction itself and those organizations were then referenced in the fiction um you had the lurkers in babylon 5 um you had the browncoats in um uh, in firefly and um that that's one of the best things about the you know the community because both of both of those franchises you know had a very dedicated core and actually there's a there's a similar situation with with Elite Dangerous of course you know if players are investing time in any aspect of the ongoing stories that are in the game or the stories that um you know that uh, the RPGs or you know their own player groups we want to find ways in which we can accommodate include uh you know sometimes that will be from the gm themselves you know and it will be the way in which the gm manages the mission and so on and so forth and their own stuff and sometimes that might be with little nods and tricks that make make people go oh yeah you know that's our group that's our group which is lovely
0: you know yeah brilliant so almost like easter yeah. eggs.
1: well or, you know or or you know i mean easter eggs implies that there'll be something secretive and uh, actually you know, you can, you can make a respectful kind of hat tip to what people are doing and include them without necessarily hiding things. Um, so, yeah, you know, but, but, but enough to indicate, because the one thing I think we all acknowledge and appreciate, and it's come up obviously earlier, is that players are generating their own stories and owning the aspects and content that's going on in the game right now. And you want to reflect that, you know, you want to you want to celebrate that. You want people to go, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm part of this universe. Um, that's really important.
3: And if we have a resource on the website, I mean, the website at the moment is, is is keyed up to be as simple as possible for the Kickstarter campaign. But if we added a resource site there where people could, as it were, post their own stories and their own mission hooks and their own adventures that they've gone on as alan said if somebody mentions a group another party might then go oh yeah no we'll do that and then they'll latch on and these things will create themselves as much as we'll have um, alan writing his mission hooks as sort of the professional input other people will be encouraged to post theirs on there as well which people can then use and then as you've seen in the ed forums people then multiply that and then it, they, 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 they run away with themselves and so that that will be very much actively encouraged how we do it yet we don't quite know from a purely physical point of view but that's certainly something that we're talking about at the moment and trying to put together for the end of the campaign
0: okay uh, starman would like to know if you're going to be producing any videos featuring the rpg
3: we already have, um, in so far as we've got some playtests. Uh, a lovely um, group of online, uh, well, an online gaming channel called the Critical Twits um, came and filmed the uh, playtest, the Quick Start Adventure. Um, and they, they have um, published their results on their own YouTube channel, if anyone searches Critical Twits. But a link for those and an interview with Oliver and myself are on the Kickstarter page as well, if people want to have a look at that. Okay, and I'll include them
0: in the video then and the video description Thank you. over here. Um, futuristic Kung Fu is wondering how many types of storylines uh, GM will be able to create only using the base handbook.
2: Okay, um, so if we're being really cheeky, um, it would be 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 times 10 times 10, whatever that is. It's, um, it's it, it technically loads, but in practice... Um, What you have in the book is something called the random generation system. Uh, This is a tool that you can use to create your own adventures. So the default ones that are covered in the core book, and I wanted to do more, but my goodness, they take up a lot of pages. And you can only go so far into them. Uh, The default ones are uh, military, uh, exploration, and espionage. So uh, in the book, there's 10 separate missions, but each of those missions differ slightly. So, uh, I mean, I put a nice example up uh recently uh on the uh on our main website where for instance you can do an exploration uh feet mission exploration feat is where you do something which no one's ever done before so like neil armstrong landed on the moon you can be the first people to drive through poison swamp valley an srv you know which the, the plants are acidic so they kind of dissolve your wheels and things like that and you can be the first guys to do that or in the same mission instead it could be taking sensor readings from a star that's about to go nova or it could be sort of any uh, other number of different exciting interesting things uh, in addition to the mission itself you also have something called a twist generator now um, The best bits about a mission I find aren't the description of the mission itself. It's quite exciting to think about driving through, you know, certain Death Valley or whatever and uh, getting to the other side. But it's even more interesting if when you arrive at the valley and you land your ship, your ship malfunctions, or if while you're driving through the valley, you come across a strange alien artifact or, um, you know, uh, you're suddenly attacked by a bunch of wildlife, you know, which disables one of your vessels uh your kind of one of your vehicles and you've got to figure out well can we you know kind of uh, all get barn supplies we have and things like that you have a twist generator for every single mission variant uh which you know will provide complications uh, uh to give you an example of one which i i haven't printed to give you an exclusive uh there's a nice one about trying to rescue a hostage um uh you know from a a group of they could be pirates they could be uh political desperados um and when you rescue the chap, it could turn out that there's more than one hostage. It could turn out the hostage is gravely ill, so moving him is incredibly risky. It could be that the hostage uh, is suffering from uh, Stockholm Syndrome and has started to support you know, his captors and so forth. So there's all these different variants that you can create. The nice thing about the twist generator is that you don't just have to have one twist. You can have, if you really hate your players, you can have multiple twists so that it's not just one thing that's kind of, you know, potentially going wrong or complicating things. It's multiple stuff, you know. At the same time as you're trying to complete your exploration feat, for instance, uh, the son of an Imperial Senator could turn up and he reckons he's a great explorer and he goes into the valley and he's getting into trouble. And it's a case of, well, you know, you could leave him to his fate. But if you do, you can guarantee that his daddy will not be happy with you. Or you could try and rescue him. But of course, the guy's a plonker and he just makes life, you know, hell for you because he's demanding, he's inexperienced. And so you can combine lots of different twists together to make a story that's just full of tension. Um, so, yes, I mean, if we're being, you know, the number that I mentioned earlier, the 10 times 10 times 10, which will probably lead to millions of variants, yeah you know if we were if i was being dishonest i would say yes there's there's a million different variants while that's technically true of course some would be too similar i would say that in the game you've got at least uh sort of you know kind of between 30 to 40 different um uh very different stories that you can run for your players and i think by the time you've got through all that you'll have a pretty good grasp of the game and you'll be creating your own adventures by then
0: okay um, would the game likely include Thargoids or any other aliens? You'll but... have to see. It's a secret. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Okay. Great answer. <laughs> oh, I love you. Brother. I like that one. That was awesome. <laughs> uh,
1: save me saying a word, not gonna say anything.
0: <laughs> okay, brilliant. Um Terminatrix would like to know whether players can help do a a foreign translation or a german translation of the game i think that could perhaps be extended to another uh, question is would it likely there would be uh, foreign versions of the game foreign language versions
3: um yes uh we have already been discussing um certainly with uh german polish and french uh, publishers um there are a couple of ways in which it can be done one is that we can just outright pay for the core book to be translated, and at the moment, our estimation for that sort of weighs in at around eighteen to twenty thousand pounds for a professional translate and then edit. Uh, so that's kind of not possible. Um, with regards to doing a cooperative, where, for example, a company takes the book and translates it, and then they earn a certain amounts of fees. The difficulty with that, of course, is that we don't own the license. Um, We are licensees ourselves. So, that would have to be something that is carefully negotiated with Frontier. It's not to say that Frontier are not unhappy about it, and they work with translators already. So, I think, again, and I know I'm probably going to sound a bit boring, but it, it will really depend on, one, the sales of the English version, and then whether we can see that there is a a critical mass wanting it in different languages before we then jump into a discussion with Frontier and see how we can manage it. Of course, There is the third option, which I'm sure your listeners are probably already screaming um, at the computer of, of course, which is to just release it so that um, smaller player factions within different countries can translate it themselves. Again, if the game is in demand there, but the demand is not high enough for a commercial approach, we would have to seek that permission from Frontier first. But we're not we wouldn't be unhappy with it because at the end of the day, we want it to go to as wide an audience. As we can, but we just have to tread carefully and make sure at all times that we're asking Frontier, because as I said, they're the ones that own the licence, not us.
0: Yeah, essentially, you want to make sure you do it correctly, and there could potentially be a few hurdles there.
3: It, well, exactly, and I, I don't think Frontier are, you know, are, are particularly there to put hurdles in the way. They've always been trying to remove the hurdles, but we just need to make sure that it's done as you, as you say in 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 the proper way.
0: Okay. Um, Will there likely be any limited edition versions of the game, maybe signed, for example?
3: Yes, you can go on to the Kickstarter page today and get yourself a copy of the collector's edition, which is a signed numbered version of the game, which will not be available for sale after the Kickstarter campaign ends. So it is buy now or um, uh, lose out. So I would very much encourage people who want a copy to jump on there and grab themselves one. Oh, very nice okay um
0: will you as a gm be able to use external sites such as inara uh
2: yes uh, absolutely i mean um i think one of the nice things about uh the elite dangerous community is that uh, they they have made a number of things a lot easier for the GM than they could be um one thing just to say is that uh, one thing you can do, absolutely, in game, is create your own worlds and space stations and so forth. Because um, me uh, or Mike Brooks or Alan are not going to be there hanging, you know, behind you and telling you you can't do it. You know, you absolutely can create your own stuff if that's what you want to do. Um, but uh, yes, you can use uh, the tools that Anara uh, gives you. There's some. There's one tool that could be very handy uh which is the uh ship builder. Um the way that we've designed the RPG is that you can make the ships from the computer game in the role playing game. Uh so you can use something like the the Coriolis ship builder and uh, what you make in that uh works for the game so the costs are the same uh you know the, the number of slots are the same the equipment um is identical the only thing that you have to do afterwards is convert that equipment into role-playing game stats um i know the logical question afterwards would be uh do we are we going to do our own ship builder um uh, that's a maybe we'll have to see how popular the game is i have to do it, john um uh, alan uh, you want to say something
1: yeah, um, this, is, this is a really interesting sort of area, really, and I think it's kind of worth reflecting on in terms of, because it, it touches into um, uh, some research I did about a year ago. So there is an excellent, excellent theorist by the name of Rachel A ward who produced a doctorate thesis on the ways in which role-playing games extend fiction. And actually, she looked at she looked at a variety of different case studies, but she was looking at the ways in which, specifically, the ways in which um, the essentially the licensed information comes out from the the company you know that's that's producing the game world or the you know whatever the, the game product is, and then how GMs interpret and add to what's there. Now, um, the thing is with you know with that relationship in a role-playing game is that role-playing games are entirely unique to pretty much every other medium where you're you're interacting with the uh, the material when you're interacting with the text because you have this this whole concept of official and IP and intellectual property and you know what what that is and then you have this this idea of effectively freely associating with the text and coming up with things on a Sunday night that your players are doing, you know, could, could, could shape change, you know, do all sorts of different stuff. And for a while, you could see why companies were sort of conservative and reticent about this, but actually it boils down ultimately to the fact that people are generating their own canon. They're generating their own stories. They're generating their own, you know, what happened next um and you see that across all forms of fiction um star trek is a is a great example um <laughs> with with all sorts of relation characters that were not uh, not the way in which those relationships went in um you know within the the, the books or the the films the ring of social if anybody would like to read uh in the 1970s would give you a perfect example of that um harry potter you see you know there are hundreds of things where people are continuing the stories that mean something to them and actually you want to embrace that um i think when you do players understand what you know what works what doesn't work what's what's sort of the difference between the tools they're using the tools someone else is using how official is this how official is this not um and i think that's fine you know you want that that relationship to be fluid and you want that relationship to be um uh to be friendly in terms of the way in which that works
0: yeah i think that's a hallmark of a great game to be perfectly honest it's it's something that i feel a lot of people are looking for It's something i look for anyway
1: yeah i think so and i mean you know i don't think hp lovecraft thought that cthulhu was going to end up as as a cuddly toy did he you know um yeah i think i think that's the that's the thing you see that you see those things happening
0: Okay, right, we're coming towards the end of the questions now, then we've got two more. So uh, one of the last one, or second to last one, is from Coldman, and he wants to know, well, firstly, how you'll address Super Cruise. He asks if it's going to be boring, and will there be a risk of space madness? <laughs>
2: oh, gosh. Um, okay, so um, in terms of Super Cruise, yes, it's in the game. Uh, the advantage of the RPG is that uh, if anything boring is happening, um then you can skip it so let's say for instance you know at the extreme end you're making the hutton run you can come you know into alpha centauri and um the gm can simply say an hour and a half later you make it to hutton orbital which um, saves you a great deal of time um in terms of the mechanics many of it is similar so Super Cruise is described in the game and, and how it functions and so forth you can be interdicted uh, interdiction uh, works you know in its own way it's actually one of the very few bits of the games where i do have a little bit of a mini game going on so um essentially you have to the person who wins interdiction is the person who wins two spaceship piloting checks in a row which is one of those rare exceptions where you know, normally I've said before, one skill check and it's all done. I decided it was a bit more exciting if there was a bit of push and pull going on, because that's what happens in interdiction. So Super Cruise is in there. Um, it's obviously the method by which uh, people travel in the Elite Dangerous computer game, so it's preserved in this game as well. Um, but if there are dull bits going on, uh, you won't have to sit there for several minutes with the games master just staring at you silently. Um, you you, you can just skip to the bit where something is happening.
0: Okay, so the GM doesn't have to sit there and make super cruise noises for half hour.
2: Well, I mean, I do, <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah. uh, tastes vary.
1: Yeah, yeah, you're going to record those, right, Oliver? We'll put those out as a download, right?
2: What kind of a, uh, <laughs> let's see, um, it's kind of a, Wow, that's that's like a beatbox. That was great. Yeah, oh, thank <laughs> you. I'm yeah. There we are. <laughs> yeah. So that, you're missing, that's Super Cruise. You're, you're missing your, your
0: career. Okay. the The last question then is from Supermunch, and it's perhaps one of the most important questions. He thinks he wants to know how you're going to deal with combat loggers. <laughs> combat
3: loggers.
2: <laughs> you mean people who just get up from the table and walk away
3: usually yeah, they're was, the, ones that, the table over yeah well usually they're the ones that are stiffed by the gm or the rest of the party um if you walk away from the table then uh, any amazing bits of equipment you found potentially could go missing so it's at your own peril but um much much um harsher consequences for combat logging in an rpg than there are in the computer game
1: i i used to have a passenger system when i was a gm which basically meant uh, you, if you didn't turn up one week, your character would continue with the party, but you couldn't, the party couldn't really use your resources or any of your things. Um, and if they all die, you die as well. Um, and then gradually, you know, if that, if you were then absent the next week and there was still no idea as to where, why you were absent, you just dropped, um, you know, and, and OK, we could continue it later or what have you, you know, as to where wherever you were. But you just didn't turn up for work that morning. So, you know, um, it kind of reflected the way in which where in which people decided to, to be. Um, I don't know. I've never had it happen mid-session.
2: <laughs> yeah, Unique. I'd say. Yeah.
0: Well, there's options. That's good. <laughs> well, that's it then. That's all the questions I've got here. I'd just like to thank you all for coming on and. Uh, talking with me and answering some questions I think everyone's going to be really pleased to hear that and I think you've got a great product going on there so for everyone who's interested they can go over and have a look at your kickstarter page there'll be a link in the video description and if there's anything else you'd like to add on before we uh, finish up
3: you can do so thank you for having us it's been uh, it's been a real pleasure and uh, very happy to continue to answer questions over on the kickstarter page and there's also um a page within the role-playing section of the elite dangerous forum if anybody has any questions that they think they might have missed out on um post one over there but thank you very much for having us on you're very welcome
1: in the interest of uh, uh of trying to preserve this from not being a complete love-in we we do love what you do
3: no, oh, that's great to hear. <laughs> we
1: we <laughs> do you. listen to you and we do love what you do.
3: Oh, yeah. I'm properly chuffed when you uh, said that you would uh, have us on. Uh, it was very exciting.
0: No, it was great, great to uh, do it. I have anything to do with Elite and uh, I'm a fan of role-playing games to start with, so seeing one out there, that's that's brilliant.
2: Thanks very much.
0: Thanks a lot, then. Thank you. Bye. See
2: you okay. later. Bye.
0: So, finally, then, I'd like to thank Spider-Man Games once more for... Uh, Uh, coming on and doing this video and this interview, there's quite a lot of questions there and as you can tell by now, the video was pretty long but well worthwhile, a lot of stuff answered and a lot of information given out so if you haven't done so already, you can check out the links in the video description you'll find a link there to the Kickstarter page and you can go over there and check it out they've still got a few more days yet until their campaign comes to an end, 8 days left in fact so enough time to get some more pledges in and hopefully, get them a little bit closer to some of those rather gorgeous looking stretch goals. As always, thanks for watching, and I'll catch you guys and girls next time.